Carrie and I have um, taken some crazy vacations, if you want to call them vacations. They weren't always vacations. They were trips for other things at times. Um, that kind of went south. <laughs> One time, we were out visiting some relatives and some friends in California. And we decided, well, while we're here, we want to drive the PCH, the Pacific Coast Highway. So we started south of L.A. First mistake. Started south of L.A. and before breakfast, thinking, oh, we're going to drive and we're going we're to have breakfast somewhere on the coast. Took us three hours to get through L.A. 30 minutes, 30 miles, three hours. You know, we're driving and driving and driving and we're going... Well, there's Jack in the Box. There's Jack in the Boxes everywhere in California. There's Jack in the Box. I don't want Jack in the Box. We're going to find some beautiful place on the coast that overlooks the ocean, and we're going to have breakfast. And we, and we drove. And once we got to L.A., there was nothing. There was nothing for miles. We found one place that had a restaurant, and we started to turn in. And the sign said, parking, $30. I'm not paying $30 to X. So we turned around and kept driving, and we kept driving, and he kept driving. Finally, we had to drive in about 30 miles, and we stopped at a Denny's <laughs> and had breakfast. Got back in the car, continued to drive, stopped in uh, Monterey, California, in one of the state's worst heat waves in recent history. They're on the coast. There's no air conditioning in the hotel. So I'm going, guys, I'm dying. Well, there's a fan in your, in your closet. Really? Have you seen me? A fan? We do that. And then we're like, well, let's just go. Let's just cut this out. We're going to go to Oregon because we've told how wonderful it is. So we start to head toward Oregon, and there are chain warnings. No snow chains. I don't have snow chains. I'm not buying snow chains. So we're not going to Oregon. Then we're like, well, Carrie's never been to Yosemite. Let's go to Yosemite. You ever been to Yosemite? You come out the east side and you drop about, what, 5,000 feet in about a mile's distance. I don't know. I'm just, you know, it's, it's a steep drop. So our brakes overheat on the side of the mountain. We stop for an hour and a half to let them cool and then finish the, the, the drive down. And then we head south. Stupid move number eight. Um, when you come out of Yosemite, you can go north and hit Reno pretty quickly. When you go south, there ain't nothing. So we're driving along looking at a map. That's back before we had cell phones, we had a map. You kids know what a map is? A piece of paper. It's about this big, and you pick it out, and you're going, oh, well, this town's a little bitty. So we're not going to stop here, even though it's getting to a start. It's a little bitty. Well, we pull through, and there is every hotel chain you could imagine. I mean, we're going, wow, Motel 6, Days in, La Quinta, Holiday Inn, the Ramada, everything's there. And I'm going, well, if this town has this many hotels, these towns here that are bigger must have lots more. No. We drove every town we went through, it looked like it was the Bates Motel. Carrie's like, I'm not staying there. It's not gonna happen. Okay, dear, and we keep driving. Well, by this point, it's 9.30 at night. We haven't eaten since 11 o'clock that morning. 
We're starving to death, and we finally found a hotel. I can't remember even what town it was in. And we were like, well, what places are open to eat? Well, nothing's really open to eat except for the Italian place next door. Oh, okay. So we went to the Italian place, and I ordered lasagna. Have you ever gotten a hostess honey bun with the icing on top? that's what the lasagna looked like. I tried to find the picture for church this morning, and I couldn't find it. I just kept looking at that going, I, I can't eat this. This, this is wrong. We, we had no idea what this trip was going to look like. It wasn't exactly what we thought it would be. And we have lots of those stories. Lots of these things where we end up somewhere and... You know, we went camping at Lost Lake up near Crested Butte, Colorado. And that night, Carrie wakes up. You know, it's, it's a 10,000 feet, so it's the middle of summer, and it's 14 degrees outside. Carrie had bought a, a mummy sleeping bag, thought she was going to be perfect. I woke up in the middle of the night. I'll turn over and look. She's sitting in the corner of her tent with her knees dropped up to her, holding on to her knees. And I said, you want to leave, don't you? Well, I'm not doing this again. <laughs> you know. Went to Gatlinburg one time, stopped in Nashville. I thought it was going to be a romantic evening. We stopped at a hotel with a jacuzzi tub. Jacuzzi tub didn't have a plug. <laughs> it was dirty. The breakfast was cheap. How many times do we begin things with a view of, of what's ahead only to be surprised or disappointed in what really occurs? You know, as we read Scripture we find um, people who have the same reaction to following Jesus. Jesus here, um, we are in our series, Follow Me, an examination of what it really means to follow Jesus. And last week we looked at the call of the first disciples, and we looked at the fact that that call tells us that it can come anytime, anywhere, and it applies to every area of our life, and it could transform a vocation, and it's a, a life of sacrifice. Well, today we're still in the book of Matthew, but we're in the 8th chapter. It's, it's on down a little bit from, from where we were. Several things have happened in Jesus' life. He has taught the Sermon on the Mount. He has uh, done some healings. He has uh, showed himself to be who he is. And there in Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 18, the Scripture says, When Jesus saw large crowds around him, he gave the order to go to the other side of the sea. A scribe approached him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus told him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Lord, another of his disciples said, First let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bear their own dead. And as he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you right now and we thank and we praise you for your blessing. Father, we ask right now, if you would take this time, Father, use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel, may the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, thank you for loving us. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake, and all God's people said, amen. Uh, this is one of those texts that you kind of go, what? It's some of the things Jesus said. These men come up to him seemingly to do exactly what they want to do and what we need to do, but yet Jesus kind of pushes them aside a little bit, some of the things that he says. The first man, it says, is a scribe, um, a teacher of the law, depending on what translation you're using. And in Matthew, so far, this title is not a good title. 
This isn't the title that, that you want to be known as. If I was in the book of Matthew, I would not want to be known as a teacher of the law because a teacher of the law or a scribe was something that was shown to be failing at your faith. You almost expect his response to be inadequate a little bit. He comes and he says, teacher. Now, this is a title given to Jesus in Matthew only by those who do not fully believe in him. Whenever someone calls Jesus a teacher, it's someone who comes in and they really don't believe in who Jesus is. They just believe him to be a good teacher, someone who tells them wisdom. And so it's correct, but it's not enough. So the scribe has this view that Jesus is a good teacher, but it's not quite the right view of who Jesus really is. We don't really know here what the scribe's thinking, but he says, you know, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. How many of us could be this guy? Jesus, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I will follow you wherever you want me to go. Jesus, I will do the things that you've called me to do. And Jesus looks at him and he says, well, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What? Jesus says, following him will not be comfortable. In Jesus' time, discipleship had a place of respect almost. Because the disciple, when he became the disciple of a teacher, he would leave his home, he would leave all of the things that he was doing behind to sit at the feet of the teacher. And teachers in Israel, the great teachers, all had this level of respect. They were celebrities. And so when someone was said to be a, a student or a disciple of Rabbi Gamaliel, you knew who he was. And you knew that there was some respect that went along with that. And so many times discipleship in the time of Jesus was a life of comfort and a life of luxury. The student lived like the teacher, and the teacher was respected. That's seen in what the scribe says, right? He comes up and he says, teacher, man, I'll follow you wherever you go. You've done some pretty cool things. I know you're going to be it, Jesus. You're going to be the one to break all this open. I want to sit at your feet. I want to follow you. And Jesus says, guy, it's not going to be comfortable. Following me isn't what you think it is. It's not a life of comfort. It's not a life to come and, and, and just sit at my feet and do nothing else. It's supposed to take you and stretch you and put you where you don't want to be sometimes. Many of us are this guy. Many of us are the guy who says, Jesus, I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. And then Jesus says, knock on the door next door. Except that. You know, we've all seen the jokes and the t-shirts and the memes over the past 30 years that said, she said, if I go fishing one more time, she's going to leave me. I'm sure going to miss her. That's kind of what we do to God, isn't it? God, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you want me to go. I will do whatever it is you want me to do. But then Jesus says, we'll do this thing that makes you uncomfortable. And we say, Jesus, I'll do everything except for that. Now, didn't Meatloaf sing a song? I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. That's Jesus here. Jesus, I'll do anything, but I'm not going to be uncomfortable. I'll do anything, but, but I'm not going to do what I don't want to do. Following Jesus is, is going to bring us outside of our comfort zone. I remember <clears throat> talking with the church one time. 
we were planning VBS, and we were looking at ways to beef up the attendance. And, and, and I made the comment, I was like, why don't we move VBS outside the church? Why don't we have VBS at the park? Because, you know, they'd all been bragging to me for months about how when they were my age, they didn't have air conditioning. So we were just a spoiled generation who had to have air conditioning. So I said, let's move to the park. There's no air conditioning there. What? You've told me for months that there's, we don't have to have air conditioning. We find ourselves saying, but I'll do anything Jesus wants me to do, but I'm not going to be uncomfortable. Jesus is going to push us. He's going to push us outside of our comfort zone and ask us to do things that we don't want to do. You know? Go to Africa. I don't want to go to Africa. Well, maybe I want you to. You know, I, I look back on the times that Carrie and I have, have gone where God wants us to go, and they're hard decisions. And, you know, I've told you about going to Rankin, and we pull through, and she sees a mobile home. Ain't an old mobile home. Old mobile home. Sit next to the church. No, we're never going to Rankin. That's not going to happen. We went to Rankin. And God put it on her before he put it on me. <laughs> we got out of our comfort zones. Because the truth is, disciples of Jesus, the Bible tells us, are foreigners and strangers in this world. We're not supposed to feel comfortable here. We're not supposed to be here saying, yep, everything's going the way I want it to go because we don't belong here. No place in this world is going to be a true home because our home isn't here. Our home is there. We're citizens somewhere else. And so when the world is falling apart, it, really shouldn't, it shouldn't make us go, huh, I wonder why it's falling apart. Because it's not where we live. We may live our lives here, but our citizenship is there. We have a, a country to look forward to. And I know that's uncomfortable, especially for us young people in the room. You know, 95 and down. We, we don't like looking toward that, that, that holy city. Because, you know, uh, I had a woman tell me, I'm not scared to die, Brother Troy, but I ain't ready to go yet. I'm going to go kicking and screaming and clawing the ground. Why? Why? Does that mean we're too comfortable here? We shouldn't be comfortable here. Disciples of Jesus are foreigners and strangers in this world. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I'm just on vacation, an extended vacation, but in a vacation nonetheless. And there's something about vacation. You ever gone on vacation? And you're there, love it, and you're excited, and it's relaxing, and four days in, you're like, I want to go home. Because there's something about being at home, being in your bed, being in your surroundings with your stuff. That's the feeling whenever this world comes to an end. That's the feeling when our world here ends because we're going to be home. It's like we're finally home for the first time. For the first time, we're finally relaxed. For the first time, we know what it means to belong because honestly, it is impossible to be comfortable in a world in which we're foreigners. It's impossible. If you're comfortable with the way the world is right now, you need to stop and take a deep look within you and say, am I really following Jesus? Am I doing what Jesus has called me to do? Because we should be uncomfortable with the way the world is. We should be uncomfortable with the things that go on. If sin is not uncomfortable to us, there's something wrong. 
Because the Holy Spirit is supposed to dwell with inside believers. And the Holy Spirit is uncomfortable with sin. It's impossible to be comfortable in a world in which we're foreigners. We can't do that. So the first man says, man, I'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus says, it's going to be uncomfortable. And we don't hear anything else from him. We don't know if he follows. We don't know if he walks away. We just know that Jesus said, okay, come follow me. But uh, it's not going to be what you think it is. Something that I'm afraid we do in the church today is we, we sell following Jesus as something that it's not. Just come say this prayer and everything's okay for the rest of your life. It doesn't really matter. There is some truth to that. If I accept Jesus, everything's okay no matter what. But it doesn't mean that my life doesn't change. It doesn't mean that something's not different. Because the second man, he comes along and he calls him Lord. Man, he's getting a step closer, ain't he? We went from teacher to Lord. Lord! And it says, one of his disciples. So this isn't even somebody he doesn't know. This is one of the people who's already following him. Let me go bury my father first. And Jesus gives this response that seems kind of cold, doesn't it? Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Ouch. That's daddy. What are you talking about? The truth is, following Jesus changes our priorities. Most commentators will say, that the father wasn't really dead yet. The father was still alive. What the man was saying was, let me finish up with my family responsibilities first, Jesus, and then I'll follow you. Let me finish what I'm doing over here, and then I'll come follow you. In essence, he wasn't saying no. He was saying not right now. Jesus, I'm ready to be sold out. I just heard what you said to the other guy. I know it's going to be uncomfortable. I know I'm not going to have a place to sleep. I know it's not a life of luxury. I know all of these things, and I'm still ready to go, Jesus. But let me go home and finish out the responsibility that I need to finish. He's making excuses as to why he needs to follow Jesus later. There are things that are more important to him. I don't know how many times I had friends and youth and other people in my life tell me, well, I, I want to follow Jesus but I've got some more living I want to do first. So you just looked at me and told me I want some sinning I got to do. That's what you just told me. I got some things I need to finish up first. I'm just not ready to make that commitment yet. Here, this guy's saying, Jesus, I'll follow you. I want to follow you. But I need to finish up my family responsibilities first. I need to finish. Because there's things important in my life. The hardest conversation I ever had was telling my dad I had surrendered to ministry. My dad wasn't a church-going man. So when his always planned on being pre-law valedictorian son came home and said, Daddy, uh, I'm going to preach. Why? Why would you do that? You're not going to make any money. You're going to struggle. Why would you choose to do that? Daddy, it's not a choice. <laughs> I wasn't given the choice. It's a calling. I was told, go, and I'm going. I'm doing what he wants me to do, Daddy. And it was hard because he thought I had responsibilities still. There were things I needed to finish for the family's sake because the family wanted me to finish this. 
You've got to be who we've always planned on you being. And I said, Daddy, I've got to go. I've got to do what he wants me to do because I don't know how to do anything else. Now, I struggled with it my my entire adult life. I have struggled with the call that God has put on my life because it took me eight years to get a four-year degree (laughs) because I kept changing my major. Well... You know, I could serve God just as well if I became a doctor and put religious books in my lobby and put murals up in the lobby. And I would take a few classes and God would say, nope, not what I said. Okay, so I'll go back to to Bible studies. And then I would say, you know, there's a good need for attorneys for churches and the things that are coming up in this world. So I could be an attorney and minister by helping churches do what churches need done. Start classes, nope. It's not what I told you to do. Because following Jesus changes our priorities. The things that we feel like we need to do are no longer the things we might need to do. And and maybe something as simple as, you know, I started watching this series, and I'm in the middle of it, and God says, I think you're done with that. Jesus, just let me finish it. Just give me the grace to finish this. I need to know what happens. No. No. I told you to move on. You know, and I, I go through times in my life where God says, for now, this kind of music you can't listen to because I need you to focus here. Now, at some point, I will release you to do other things. But right now, I need you here. Following Jesus changes our priorities. It changes the things that we feel called to do and the things that we need to do. You know, and I included the first verse here of the next passage for a reason. Because the cost of following Jesus weeds out the fans from the followers. You know, this, this phrase didn't come from me. It comes from a man named Kyle Oliman. I don't know if you read the book or not. Not a fan. Because what is a fan? A fan is an enthusiastic, <laughs> an enthusiastic supporter of someone. Right? You're a fan. So, If you're a fan of Jesus, whoo, Jesus, I love the things that you do. If you're a follower of Jesus, I will go wherever you want me to go, Jesus. The cost of following Jesus weeds out the fans from the followers. You know, it says in that first verse there, in verse 23, as he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Only his disciples followed him. It doesn't say 12, it just says disciples. We know from others, that there are other disciples here. So those who can handle what Jesus said, they followed. And they continued to follow. You ever been to a spot in your life where Jesus called you to walk through something and for a little while you lost your focus? Back in 1997, June 28th, my dad had a wreck at the Pedenville store. He threw the star telegram out at Possum Kingdom Lake. So he was going to Mineral Wells to get his papers. And he ran into the pole there. Um, I was at home watching my 16-year-old sister. My parents had just gotten divorced three months earlier. And usually I went with them. 
Every morning I went with him. This one morning I didn't. When he woke me up, I said, no, I'll stay here, Daddy. The phone rang. My sister had somebody staying with her. She ran to get the phone. And they told my 16-year-old sister on the phone, your dad's had a wreck. He's at Harris Hospital. Y'all need to get here now. She screamed and I went next door and got the neighbor to, to take care of her. At that point, I was driving a uh, Camaro. She rode with somebody else. I made it from Witt, Texas to Harris Methodist, downtown Fort Worth in 15 minutes. Now, if you've ever made that drive, you know I was driving fast. I was the only one who saw him before he went in for surgery. He was covered in blood from his head to his toe. He ended up in a nursing home, fed through a tube for the rest of his life. My grandma came in and, and did some atrocious things that I won't even go into here. And I got mad at God. I got mad. And I said, God, I'm done. And I spent a year doing everything that I could do trying to make God mad at me. Man. I wanted him to say, I'm done. You've gone over the line. I'm finished. I went to jail after that, Joe Lamb. Um, <laughs> she's been waiting to tell that on me, see, because I went to jail one time too. But it wasn't for anything I did. Um, oh, it had to do with my grandma. And after all of that, after everything that I did to, to try to make God mad, one day I'm driving along and I hear very distinctly. Now, I don't know if you were in the car with me if you would have heard it. Maybe it was just inside me, but I heard very distinctly, Come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. And I pulled the truck over and I said, okay, Jesus. Whatever you want me to do. And then he said, go to camp. <laughs> okay. And then he said, leave your family and go to school. Okay. Trust me. Okay. You know, it's very easy to be a fan of Jesus. It's very easy to say, I love what Jesus does. I love it when he does things that I want him to do. I love it when he gives me the blessings that I want. I love it when everything falls into place. Any fan can do that. But a follower continues on even when things don't go your way. Want me to give you a sports analogy? How many of you are Dallas Cowboys followers? <laughs> that means no matter what they're doing, you're going to follow. You're going to be there in support. There are a lot of fans, right? Woo, they're winning. Woo, good. But not everybody's a follower. When's the last time you counted the cost following Jesus. 
You know, the Bible's clear in, in, in chapter 7, just one chapter before that. Verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, do many miracles in your name? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. That is the scariest verse in all of Scripture. Bar none. It's scary. Why is it scary? Because that tells me I can't play around at being a Christian. I can't play around. He said, people are going to get there and they're going to say, preach sermons for you, Jesus. I perform miracles in your name. I did all these things and Jesus is going to say, but you didn't know me. You were doing something, but you weren't doing what you were supposed to do. You can't play around being a Christian. That's scary. That's scary. Because the truth of the matter is, only you can know if you know Jesus. But he says we can know who knows around us by their fruit. Are you producing fruit today? Are, are you comfortable? Your priorities changed? Maybe this morning you've been struggling with following. Because, man, it's hard sometimes, ain't it? When that diagnosis isn't what we want it to be. When the ends don't meet. <laughs> when the sewer's bubbling up in your backyard. Sometimes it's hard to follow. Sometimes it's, it's hard to say, yes, Jesus, no matter what you ask, no matter what you want, I'll do it. Our, our Bible reading Wednesday morning, if you've been following along, was the same thing that we talked about Wednesday night. Genesis chapter 22. And, and Abraham is called on by God to give up Isaac. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to give up that which is most important to you if Jesus says, give it and let's go? Maybe this morning, it's time for you to say, okay, I'm going to give it all back to him. I'm going to follow him with all that I have. Now would be a great time to do that. Maybe you want to surrender to missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe you just want to pray. The altar is open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to rededicate your life. Maybe you want to start over following. Maybe you want to be the one who is sold out and says, Jesus, I'm going to follow you no matter what you ask right now in this moment. But maybe this morning you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've never taken a step to say, man, I want to know him. I want to know the wonderful things that he does because, yes, there is a cost to following Jesus, but the cost is worth it. The blessings far outweigh the cost because I have a peace in this world that no matter what happens, God is in control. When the storms rage, God is in control. Anybody see the rainbow after the storm the other day? That great, big, multicolored rainbow that was just so amazing. A promise from God. Man, 
It was very personal to me that afternoon because uh, the culvert was a little stopped up. So the water came up in the yard. And I, I was standing on the porch. I told Kevin I might need an air rescue if it keeps raining because there was just water. And so when that rainbow came out, I said, you know, you, you promised us that. The flood's not going to take us away anymore. And in the midst of that, you can have peace. If you've never known the one who can bring you peace in the midst of a tumultuous world, now's the time to know him. If you've never known the one who can bring you peace knowing that your sins are forgiven, that they are not going to be brought back up, now's the time to know him. But wherever you're at this morning, whatever you need, give it to him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you. We praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time, Father, and use it for your glory. Father, I pray that, that we count the cost to follow, but Father, I pray that that cost does not keep us from following. Father, don't let us be scared to follow you, and even, and even the darkest of storms, let us continue on and just to walk through, Father, because you are the great shepherd. You are the one who speaks and, and it exists. Father, we, we ask right now that that you would give us a peace to follow you in the midst of life's storms. Father, if there's anyone here today who does not know you as their Savior, let today be the day.